Here's a dialogue I came across. Questioner. We two came from far off countries. The world in which we were born is falling apart, and being young we are concerned. The old people hope they will die their own death, but the young have no such hope. Some of us may refuse to kill, but none of us can refuse to be killed. Can we hope to set the world right in our lifetime? What makes you think the world is going to perish? The instruments of destruction have become unbelievably potent. Also, our very productivity has become destructive of nature and our cultural and social values. We were talking of the present times. It has been so everywhere and always. But the distressing situation may be temporary and local. Once over, it will be forgotten. The scale of the impending catastrophe is unbelievably big. We live in the midst of an explosion. Each person suffers alone and dies alone. Numbers are irrelevant. There is as much death when a million dies as when one perishes. Lastly, nature kills by the millions, but this does not frighten us. There may be tragedy or mystery in it, but no cruelty. What horrifies us is man-made suffering, destruction, and desolation. Nature is magnificent in its doings and undoings. There's meanness and madness in the acts of people. Right. So it's not suffering and distress and death that are your problem, but the meanness and madness at their root. Is not meanness also a form of madness? And is not madness the misuse of the mind? Humanity's problem lies in this misuse of the mind only. All the treasures of nature and spirit are open to a person who will use their mind correctly. This particular dialogue uh, was in 1970. Now, the point of that concern, that dialogue, is, of course, we are concerned that the world is falling apart, that there is great difficulty, that we are in unprecedented times. And, of course, that feeling has been present many times over. And it's not to say there is nothing to do. We all have something very important to do. Each one of us is sitting in his or her own skin, and we've got to have something we will do, something with that skin, that life. But rather, this is, the founda- this is about the foundation of mind. So, an equivalent analogy is breakfast. For hundreds of years, we have been making breakfast. And if someone has the misperception that they will finally make the great breakfast that satisfies all hungers, that they finally will get breakfast down so it's done right and there is no more need for breakfast, they are a little bit uh, deluded. And so even though we make breakfast over and over and over again, the attitude with which we make that breakfast makes a big difference. If the attitude is, I will get rid of everybody's hunger and they'll never be hungry again, 
we're going to fail. If the attitude is, I must do what I am called to do right now, and I will do it skillfully and as best I can, then not only do people get breakfast, but also there is a joy in the doing of the breakfast. The right use of the mind is the foundation. And that's what Sashen is about. Sashen is about helping us to discover, refine, practice the right use of the mind. Now, in Buddhism, we often talk about the, the Eightfold Path, the right use of the mind with the right view and right resolve and right speech and right conduct and right livelihood and right effort, right mindfulness and right samadhi. Right in the sense of being aligned, being harmony in harmony with reality. And the way I always boil those down is Silla, Samadhi, and Prajna. Silla, ethical living, meticulous presence. Samadhi, deep concentration, absorption. And Prajna, the wisdom beyond wisdom. Wisdom that is always present. So Sashin cultivates and exercises this mind of wisdom and tries to help us take a step away from the misuse of the mind that is the root of the world's pain. And in this session, we're using the Sila Samadhi and Prajna practices in a particular way. First off, we're listening for freedom. We're listening for that liberation which is never lost. Secondly, of course, we're working with concentration, the ability to actually keep one's attention, hone one's attention, rest one's attention in what is important to us. And third, to mindfully, with attention to detail, meticulously, to walk the path, paying attention to how we are walking, how we're opening doors, how we're speaking, sitting down, doing everything. Now in this session, we're reducing all that down to listening. And of course, it's obvious that we all are listening. We all just heard that bird that was outside. It's so it's so interesting. Sometimes people will come for advice and I'll say something like, well, just listen to what's happening right now. And then having heard that, they say, I can't do it. Just listening to what's happening right now. Well, they obviously had to hear that in order to say, I can't do it. It is the very listening that is the important thing, not the conclusion. So everyone in this room hears to whatever degree we hear. And so I'd like to do a few exercises today and ask some questions that both address this method of liberation, listening, and perhaps to point to fundamental experience. So everyone 
has experienced moments of pure listening. That's the entrance gate. Do we have to recognize that we are experiencing moments of pure listening? Do we have to have the mind that says, oh, now I'm experiencing pure listening? Or is it something that we are hearing so naturally and we are part of it so naturally that it happens whether we're aware of it or not? So there is the experience of pure listening, of listening itself, and then at the objects of what we're hearing. And in a way, one level, these are different things. So looking at the level of objects, we hear and we listen to different objects. Some people hear the ambient sounds, natural sounds, sounds of the creaking or the furnace, fan. And often with those natural sounds, there's very little negative emotional charge. And so to go out into the woods, to listen to the birds, to is easy, soothing. But some of us are listening to the voice of fear and the voice of doubt and the voice of judgment. And instead of actually listening to what is the shuffling of cloth as people move, we're listening to the swirling, swirling dialogue of our own mind. When the natural sounds of the world are heard through, oh, it's not right, I can't do this, oh, it's not good enough, oh, is this really meaningful? Oh, I'm gonna, I gotta plan what I gotta do next because just sitting here listening is not worth anything. What I'm gonna eat next, what I'm gonna do next, where I'm gonna go next, that's what's really important. When we're trying to listen through that cascade, through that storm, through that rain, through that fog, of yes, but, yes, but, yes, but, not right, we can't hear. So one aspect of listening practice is first off to know what we're hearing, to recognize what we're attending to. Distant sound of a car. And then it is helpful to turn our attention to the more readily verifiable. We have an ephemeral thought that is unfindable, but we can hear, most of us, the sound of the fan. The sound of the humming ringing in our ears. So the next aspect is to hold our attention on the verifiable, so to speak, sound. The ringing, the tinnitus in our ears. The subtle shuffling of people in the room. 
and not defaulting back over and over to the inner voice of woe or inadequacy or whatever. Not defaulting to a fantasy world, not defaulting to listening to what the mind makes up in a way. Losing contact with the world is a kind of death. We go numb. And Dharma, practice, Sashen, is about life. It's about living. Now, if we are able to finally begin to have times when we are turning our mind away from what next, what next, what next, or I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I'm inadequate. If we're finally able to turn our mind down to the simple isness of things, then there are some more interesting, enticing practices that are available. So, in working with the sound, um, we'll do some exercises. I just ask you to attend. Do it. First, of course, easy to hear. But now you reflect when I hear a sound. Where? Is that sound heard? Now, at the very simplest, we have the sound of the Japanese horse bells. And that has a certain vibration in the air. And that then touches the tympanic membrane, which goes through the nerve, which goes somehow across. If we say, yes, of course, I'm hearing sound, but hearing continues regardless of the object. And we're hearing now. So if we is that fundamental in hearing sound? So the first, this, this next point is the objects of hearing arise, exist, and disappear in rhythm, but hearing itself, hearing itself doesn't. We can hear silence, we can hear sound. We can always hear. 
What we hear varies. As I said earlier, some people, all they hear is just the voices in their head. And some people can hear the subtle shuffles in the back room. Second point is when we look at the experience of hearing, we experience hearing, it's a sensation, it's felt. So we have hearing, but the hearing is recognized very intimately right here in our own tympanic membranes, our own bodies, our own brain. So sound and hearing are fundamentally one thing. Sound, vibrations, coming, different frequencies, hitting the tympanic membrane, going through all that process. We hear, we feel, same place. Sound is sensation. And sensation is felt in the same place. Physical kinesthetic sensation is felt and experienced in the same place that hearing is. Not the objects, not the hand, not the toes, not the the sound out there, but the, the, the place, the true place of experience for the body-mind, for hearing and feeling, is the same. So when we are resting in the breath, resting in feeling the whole body moving subtly as it breathes, feeling the body that is supported by the earth, feeling the body and its presence. And while we're doing that, we are hearing sound, like the sound of voice or the sound of hands or the sound of, you know, bells. It all happens in the same place. What's different? The objects are different, but the intimate experience is worth looking at. Now, again, we are hearing, feeling all the time, one of the five aggregates. You know, in order to be a human being, you have to have form, you have to have perception, you have to have some mental activity, consciousness. So that is always present, and that's part of what we're doing with, with practicing the samadhi of presence, samadhi of sound breath. So now, sitting right here, wherever one is, Making the mind, you can make it. Allowing the mind to be quiet. Watch the empty spaciousness of the mind. Listen to the empty spaciousness of the mind. 
out of the empty spaciousness of the mind comes sound. Normally we think sound comes from out there. But if we're actually paying attention to the sensation of hearing feeling, and we're actually listening to the continual activity of listening, we're aware of the continual activity of listening, sound, whether it be the bird or this voice, arises out of silence. The experience of it It arises from nowhere. This is not the ordinary way of thinking about it, not the ordinary way of looking, but it is the true, in a way, the fundamental nature of things is still and silence, and out of that still silence, suddenly, for whatever karmic condition, something comes forth. It arises from right here, not from out there. Anything that arises out there is transient. It comes and it goes and it's breakfast and it's not breakfast and the world is falling apart and the world is growing and people are dying and people are being born and you know all the stuff. It just just anything out there is constantly in motion, constantly transient. But the hearing, experiencing, sensation, source doesn't come and go. It's always there. We could even say it's unborn. Mental events all come and go. And we just keep getting trapped thinking these mental events that are coming and going instead of us being able to, to use them and able to, to work with them and able to, to make breakfast with them. We get caught in thinking that's reality. When really the shuffling in the room is realer than that. Hearing doesn't move. Awareness doesn't move. That which sees doesn't move. The background of all activity is unborn. One way we can look at that is we can ask ourselves, how old is my hearing? Not how old is the car out there, the sound of that, that just came into being. The crickling of joints just came into being. But how old is the hearing nature itself, the seeing nature, the being nature, how old is that? It does not age.
It does not age. Awareness does not age. The objects of awareness change constantly. And in a way, we are going to get to take it a deeper, deeper level in just a moment. So this is just a matter of investigation. It's not a matter of should or ought or this is the way things are. It's a matter of investigation. We investigate our own mind in looking at the nature of listening and listening very deeply and carefully and meticulously. We say, does the hearing, does the hearing activity age? See what you discover. Thoughts evolve, thoughts change, thoughts come and go, arguments and agreements and all that stuff just is always swirling through, of course. But that which is aware, So let's take it down a little different level. We're sitting here, we're listening, we hear the little gasps in the zendo, we hear whatever we hear. But there is still often, there is still an experience or an idea or a fixed view that I am hearing something. That I am the hearer. That I have this quality called hearing. That there is something in there that recognizes the activity of hearing, feeling, sensing, Thinking. What hears? What recognizes here? Hearing. This is actually the, the realm of the koan mu and the fundamental koans. That which is heard and that which hears no separation. Things hear themselves. Sounds recognize themselves. A little different level of experience. This practice is not about shoulds or oughts, or this is the way things are, and everybody should believe it, and if you believe it, then you are saved, and, you know. This practice is about, let me investigate myself. Let me investigate with my own apparatus the nature of mind, so that as I function in the world, I am functioning skillfully from reality instead of from Fantasy. That I am functioning, we are all functioning from a foundation of truth. 
instead of a foundation of despair. If we are looking carefully at hearing itself and the nature of hearing that is unborn, that does not age, the hearing is always okay, just as it is. Some people hear more acutely, some people hear less, more, we hear all kinds of things. But the hearing nature itself is always okay. The hearing nature, the seeing nature, the feeling nature, the aware nature, always okay, always unborn, always right here. And so in that way, the world is also just fine. And then we do whatever we are called to do. We do whatever we need to do because we are anchored, resting, aware of the the unborn nature, the harmony of all things. And then when it's our turn to cook breakfast, we cook breakfast. Or we write articles, or we talk, or we dance, or whatever we do. But when we get mistaken that the objects are where the truth is, we get confused. So we're practicing in Sashin repeatedly, coming back and back and back to what is intimate, what is unborn, what is always present, what is alive, what is vital and vivid right here, right now. And it's still vital and vivid if we're tired, and it's vital and vivid if we're in pain, and it's vital and vivid if we're talking, and it's vital and vivid if we're silent, and it's vital and vivid if we're concentrated. But the recognition requires attention, concentration, diligence. And then, of course, practicing, functioning from that foundation. We take this down a couple of more notches. We, the world, everything that is seen here, unborn, blossoming fully and completely, just as it is, total harmony. And in that total harmony, we make breakfast. In that total harmony, the world comes into being, falls apart. We do whatever we are called to do. And if we take it down a little bit more into this very moment, and we look at this moment, and we realize this moment has no beginning and has no end, this very moment is nothing but a dream, this very moment is nothing but my mind's kind of trying to grab a hold of something ungraspable and realizing it's all just a flowing dream, which is dreaming itself in the vast spaciousness of boundless nature. Dream is dreaming itself. But, you know, don't take it from me, just investigate. Just investigate. And as you know, we boil all this down to two simple principles. The first principle is stabilizing the mind. 
in this moment with breath, with anchoring to sound as it is, right here, right now. And then with a calm, clear mind that's paying attention to direct sensation, we look into it and see what is true. I've given you a whole bunch of ways of doing that investigation, but that investigation is not a function of mental activity. The investigation is you put your hand in water and you want to know how warm or cold the water is, and so you feel in the water, you feel with your hand, you feel, you experience. And that is the kind of experiencing that we can do with sound, that we are listening to sound. The shuffling, the crackling, Intimately, close. We get up really close. And interesting, to listen to sound really close, you have to be silent. So, anyhow. It's a really interesting investigation, and I encourage you to be interested in the nature of your own mind, to find liberation and to be able to function in a way that is of service, of benefit.